Yeah. Yeah, old school. That's what I'm talking about. Listen, this ain't for everybody. Some of y'all need to hear this. Huh. I know you're in the trenches fighting, but check it out. I'm going to put it down like this so I can help the saints understand. Everything you're going through is all part of the master plan. Or what? You thought because you got saved, everything was going to be peaches and cream? You better wake up, son. Don't nothing come to a sleeper but a drink. Faith without works is dead. Read your Bible. You know what it says. He who don't work, don't eat. Slackers don't get fed. Huh, yeah. Jesus said, he who puts his hands to the plow looks back the same ain't fit. Some of y'all ain't been in the Christmas five minutes and you about ready to quit. I ain't mad at you. I'm just hitting you with the real. <laughs> if you died for me and I was still tripping, now how you think that make you feel? Check this out. Deep game. This here's deep, huh? Some of y'all ain't sawing nothing but you're studying trying to reach, huh? But after him who's able to possess your father's by his glory. Struggles might be part of your testimony, but it ain't the end of the story. Now the point is this was prophesied way back in the day. Choir, sing your hook right here and see if the church can relate. waiting on the day where you say big girl up there instead of big boy. Well, well, you know, I could comment on that. I mean, if I thought in today's times, but um, I don't know. All I know is what I've been taught for the last um, few years. <laughs> few? <laughs> yeah. Like six decades? I, I start- I, hey, look, I started to reveal my age, but uh, I, I'm not talking I about see. me today. I see. We're going to talk about it. Uh, I don't know how old this person is. Gleb, are you with Yeah, us? well, they they say you're only as old as you feel, and, and I guess we can throw looks in there, too. Yeah, so then you must be about 33. I love you today. Anyway, <laughs> introduce our guest. Gleb, are you with us? Yes, I am. Did I say your first name right? Yes, that's right. That's right. And my I'm going to try. I'm going to try the last name. See if I can impress him. Is it Sipersky? Oh wow! You did a great job. Very nice. Very nice. I see that, my mom. Lamont, you see, I got it. I got it there. Gleb, we're I know, glad but, to have but you. But wait, 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 wait. Hold up, wait, hold wait. up. S- say it again so I can make sure you can say it twice. Sipersky. There you go. All right. You're just fine. There okay. I have trouble with Lamont. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't He didn't nope. have an average name like Matthew. It would be easy. Anderson, that's like even easier. He yeah, does have well. an easy last name. He's got Patterson for a last name. That's easy for people like me. Gleb, we're glad to have you. And what I would like to do before we start asking you a lot of questions is give a little introduction t- so that our listeners can know who we're talking to today. And then we'll uh, be asking you a lot of questions for about the next hour. So thanks for being with us. And let me just. Uh, Share some information here, and we'll get right to it. So today we have Dr. Gleb Sipersky. Third time I said it right. (laughs) He is passionate about promoting science-based decision-making and emotional and social intelligence to help leaders, organizations, and our society avoid disasters. He researches these topics as a tenure-track professor at the Ohio State University's Decision Sciences Collaborative and History Department. That is an amazing name for a department. We're going to have to ask about that. Businesses, nonprofits, and municipalities, and for those of you who are not educated, that means cities, 
frequently hired Gleb as a consultant and speaker, a civic activist for rational thinking in politics and other life areas. Gleb serves as the volunteer president of a nonprofit devoted to this mission. Its name is Intentional Insights. He published hundreds of articles in prominent venues and appears regularly as a guest expert on TV, radio, podcasts, and videocasts. An Amazon best-selling author, he's most well-known for Find Your Purpose Using Science, and has a new book forthcoming, The Alternative to Alternative Facts, Fighting Post-Truth Politics with Behavioral Science. That one sounds good. His website is glebsipersky.com, and I'll spell his name for you. It is G-L-E-B-T-S-I-P. U-R-S-K-Y dot com But you can get that at our website Anytime and, and uh, because we Archive this show so everything we Do today I say is will be uh, Recorded for about 900 years So uh, <laughs> Gleb Gleb thanks for uh, being here with Us and um, I um, I'm happy you're here it's really a Timely subject and To just put it in perspective Our topic today is using brain science to avoid lies in politics and everyday life. So, mm-hmm. if you don't mind, could you just start out by giving us a brief introduction to what that really means? Sure. So, there's a lot of recent research that shows that our brains are likely to believe in lies unless we are specifically trained not to. And so, it's a very fascinating uh, area of research, and there are Basically, what it shows is that we as human beings have, roughly speaking, two systems of thinking, and we can get into the details of these. So the two systems of thinking, one is called system one or the autopilot system. The autopilot system basically is our emotions and intuitions. It's the fight or flight response. It's Mm -hmm. what we feel with our gut. So it's a very intuitive reaction. It turns on in milliseconds. We don't notice it working. It works all the time. And it's a very powerful system. It's our emotions. It's how we feel. It's things that feel true, feel genuine. That's what Mm -hmm. uh, the gut system, the autopilot system is like. We also have a second system of thinking, the intentional system. This is a system that is much weaker and much turns on in a second instead of milliseconds, so hundreds of times slower. Milliseconds is a thousandth of a second. So hundreds of times slower. It's much weaker but it's a system that can rationally and logically evaluate the situation and come to the most accurate conclusion possible with a thorough investigation. So it's a system that deals with abstract numbers, with logic, with abstract concepts, things like this. That's what system two or the intentional system does. So unfortunately, the vast majority of just our intuitions are not set up to be oriented toward the truth. And what often happens, what usually happens, is that if things feel true, then we believe they are true. And what people, what happens in people's minds is that they mistake truth for comfort. So you're a relationship expert, you know. You know that if uh, someone in a relationship tells you, you know, "I, I love you, the tendency is to accept that as, true as accurate because it feels good to us we want to believe that and therefore we tend to accept that statement as accurate so that's one example of relationships in in politics it would tend to be more longer uh, predisposition if we tend to be a conservative and have a conservative perspective then things that uh, align with conservative perspectives that's one or two said by conservative politicians would tend to feel good to us, and therefore we would believe they're true. The same thing with liberals. People who are with a liberal perspective, things that align with liberal issues or are said by liberal politicians would feel good to them, and they would tend to believe them whether they're true or not. So that Mm -hmm. is the nature of why we tend to believe in falsehoods. Gleb, question. How do one find a balance? Because it seems like uh, you're constantly fighting with System 1 and System 2. Mm-hmm. So what we need to do, so what the research shows is very effective, is having training in establishing 
in critical evaluation of reality. Now, one aspect of training is having skepticism of things that sound good, things that feel good to us, intuitively feel good to us, we should be the most skeptical about. And it doesn't mean that they're wrong. It doesn't mean that they're bad. It doesn't mean that they're false. But we should be skeptical of them because we're predisposed to believe they're true. So it's That's very like, tempting. Uh, what... one, one good example would be when uh, Lamont said to me a few moments ago that he loves me today. <laughs> I should be skeptical perhaps. of that. He perhaps, did add in perhaps, the today really part. So he added the word today, which made me think, well, wait a minute. What about tomorrow? So I guess I'm <laughs> learning to uh, to pay attention to the second. There you go. There you go. You're learning to turn using your intentional system. Yes. Yeah. So essentially being skeptical of things that sound and that's uh, not an easy skill to learn because, you know, when we hear, uh, let's say, again, someone from our perspective, let's go into politics, someone who shares our political perspective, when they say something, we tend to want to believe them because we trust that person. Mm -hmm. Now, there are plenty of cases, you know, we can go to both Democrats and Republicans, you know. Uh, Obama said that, you know, you can keep your health care plan. That was later rated by PolitiFact, which is a credible, reliable fact-checking website, as the lie of the year for 2013. Because, no, we couldn't keep our health care fine. <laughs> right. Or Trump said that he won the popular vote, by, whereas Hillary Clinton in actuality won it by nearly 3 million votes. And Trump mm-hmm. has been called out by a whole range of fact-checking websites for the lies about winning the popular vote. But people who uh, – there's a lot of research, so um, statistics show that over half of Republicans believe that Trump won the popular vote. So despite wow. that being a lie and him being called out by a number of credible fact-checking websites, over half of Republicans believe that. So that is an example of how it works in politics. Same thing. Well, in I want to. You know, some, I, I yes, want to stuff. talk about the the politics, of course, but I wanted to ask a question. Goes maybe back to the back of this for a second or the beginning. Why sure. does evolution? The question is. Why does evolution cause our minds to be vulnerable to deception? What, what do you think about that? So in, from an evolutionary perspective, it's often evolutionarily adaptive, beneficial for us to believe falsehoods that are believed by other people in our tribe. For example, uh, from a genetic evolutionary perspective, let's say you're in a relationship and somebody says, I love you, but they don't actually mean it that doesn't mean they won't have sex with you and that they won't produce babies. Now, evolution doesn't care about our feelings. It cares about that whether we produce babies. He's really not happens. laughing. It I'm scared. <laughs> so it doesn't care about our feelings. It cares about whether we produce babies. And so somebody saying that, if it's conducive to the production of babies, but not, you know, but is that not actually true? We're still going to produce babies. And the people who tend to not be too skeptical about the statements of their lovers and relationships would tend to produce more babies. And those are the people whose genes will survive. So that's, that's just one of many examples. I think I heard you use the word tribe. So you're, yes. you're, you're saying that, that we, want to, we tend to believe our tribe above others? Yes, yes, exactly. Okay. So whoever we consider our tribe to be. So we have the immediate tribe, which is our lovers and our friends and our immediate nuclear family. So okay. it's evolutionarily beneficial for, in certain cases, in many cases, for us to believe what people who are in our immediate tribe tell us even though if those things aren't true because they contribute to the uh, genetic, uh, our genes being passed onward. That's one. Second, the same works for a larger tribe. Now, this all evolved in the savanna. So people lived in tribes of, you know, 50 to uh, not more than 150. There's there's actually research showing um, for folks who are interested in this, there's a number called Dunbar's number, which is around 150, which is the maximum relationships 
that we can maintain in a reasonable manner, so that we can actually maintain. And so that's the top limit of what tribes were at relatively like in the savanna. So in those tribes, we have an evolutionary advantage in accepting the words of our tribe members without questioning them too closely. Because, again, you, if you question them too closely, if you demand the actual truth, you'd have conflict within the tribe and you know, people would split up if you don't have the white lies. And this is mm -hmm. especially the case for those in power. So research shows that we are especially likely to accept lies if they come from people in power. And the phenomenon for those who want to look it up is called emotional contagion. We are powerfully impacted by the emotions and the expression of what those in power say. So it's very tempting for us to accept, emotionally tempting for us to accept the words of those we see as with power, even if they are lies. And it's evolutionary belief beneficial. So in many cases, it's not beneficial for us to know the truth. And that's uh, why evolution has set up the situation in such a way, you know, that we are not very inclined to question statements that are going along with our guts, what, what we feel, what, what our tribe tells us is appropriate. What do you think, what do you think about a, a person that came from a tribe that think, that think all, politici all um, politicians are actually politricians? They were taught that they were all lies and they were all schemers. Mm -hmm. Yes, I mean, there are certainly people who have that belief, and that doesn't correlate with the truth of reality. So if you look at the fact-checking organizations, which are kind of neutral, nonpartisan fact-checking organizations like PolitiFact, Snopes, factcheck.org, and so on, uh, if you look at those, you'll see that some politicians lie much less than others. If you fact-check their statements, you'll see that... Who control, I mean, who control those... Who, let me, who control those companies? Well, uh, the, let's see. Factcheck.org is run by the Annenberg Public Policy Center, which is a University of Pennsylvania, and so it's an academic center, research institution, so essentially the it's, it's, a, it's a university, and so it's a university-controlled center. Then I'm not uh, – I don't – oh, PolitiFact, no. That, uh, the PolitiFact is run by Tampa Bay Times, which is an independent newspaper in the Florida, Tampa. And I don't remember about who runs Snopes. So, so I guess my I guess uh, my question, Glib, is these companies that that are are taken as the, the the father or the overseer. I mean, these people are above reproach. I mean, what they say is the gospel. What they say is, we should consider it to be as knowable in terms of facts as possible. These are credible organizations that are carefully evaluate that are evaluated as maintained by others. So if folks want to look it up, what I advise them to do is go to the Pointer Institute. And this is another academic institute which runs the Pointer Fact International Fact Checking Network. And that's a fact network of fact checkers who uh, work together on the best practices and standards of fact checking and they include in their organization only credible fact checking websites and they check each other to make sure that they're telling the truth. So in terms, and they are run by nonpartisan groups, they make sure to, you know, if you look at PolitiFact, you'll see that they called out Barack Obama a number of times when he lied. They call out Trump right now frequently when he lies and so on. They call out liberals and uh, Republicans and so on. So it's not, or the same thing for factcheck.org and Snopes and so on. So these are organizations that, if you want to set up an organization and have it be a fact checker, this is the best manner possible. Doesn't mean that we'll always get things right. Far from always, you know. Far from. So is I, I have saying. a question about this, um, and I'm, sure. I'm really interested in your opinion. We have a situation in our country right now that there's always been a certain degree of lying in politics. I think most people know yep. about it. Uh, we have now, as I'm sure you know, maybe even better than I do, um, 
we have an administration led by a president who is pretty much, I would suppose you would call a serial liar who has been doing it, obviously, to those of us who want to pay attention to it ever since he started running. And yet he won, and there is a meaningful size, 35% at least, of, uh, of voters who believe whatever he has to say. And this, in my opinion, is a is a historical uh, is a new historical phenomenon has not occurred like this in our country. And I'm interested in what you think has caused this. What's what's behind? And I know that might be a complicated answer, but I'm interested in your opinion. What, 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 how did this come to be? He, he spoke on because that a few you know ago. 50 years I, I heard ago, him, Matthew. Thir- Matthew, I heard him about five yeah. minutes ago. Text that. About how people that are liberal, how people want to believe things, tend to believe it. But that's always been true. I mean, this is—it's always been true that people wanted to believe it. But now there's a, enough people to elect somebody who, even 20 years ago or 25 years ago, somebody like like this would would have to be kicked right out of the process. Would have never even gotten the nomination. So but don't you know common sense is? Don't you know common sense is not common? Gleb, <laughs> so, I want you to answer uh, this question yeah. If I can ever get I'll be Lamont to, to hold on I'll to be happy to answer the minute. question Sure, sure So that, that's what I'm writing uh, That's one of the topics of my book The Alternative to Alternative Facts Fighting False Truth Politics and Behavioral Science I've done quite a bit of research on this So what There's an interesting dynamic that's happening right now Where social media has become so omnipresent, so prevalent in our society that people mm-hmm. are really trusting the news that they get on it. About 62% of Americans are using social media. So um, 67% of Americans are using Facebook, for example. Overall, 62% of Americans are getting their news from social media, uh, some amount of their news from, so- from social media. Now, on social media, that's unfiltered news. That's news that's not filtered by anyone and not by reputable fact-checking websites, not by any sort of organizations. It's random. Anyone can set up a website and put news out and spread on Facebook. This has been Mm -hmm. actually a common, a very strategic way of people making money. There have been a number of teenagers in Macedonia who have set up websites on Facebook uh, websites and then promoted them on Facebook. People have clicked on clickbaity fake, false, completely false, made up news stories, went to the website of the teenagers in Macedonia and clicked on ads that surrounded the stories. And Mm -hmm. these teenagers have had a really nice living. They have earned thousands of dollars per month doing this. Uh, doing this activity now that so they they have just been totally corporate interests they don't care what people actually believe now there have been others who have been doing this with the explicit intention of swaying the election so for example russia has government workers officials who are go to government offices they're hired there have been investigative reports on this quite clear they set up fake news account, fake accounts on social media uh, that present themselves as moderate Republicans or Democrats living in the Midwest. And they create, Russia creates fake news websites that look like real news site websites, and they share stories that then get reshared by, on social media. So Russia has been explicitly and strongly oriented toward spreading conservative-friendly news stories that would get Donald Trump elected. And there's a lot of data showing this. Our intelligence agencies have all agreed that this is the case. So mm-hmm. this is something that has been happening. So the answer lies in technology. Any sort of situation, you know, our brains were similarly vulnerable to deception 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. Similarly vulnerable to deception. However, What happened at that time was that there was news media who filtered the information that got to ordinary people. They filtered their information. They took out the bullshit. Mm -hmm. They took out the obvious fake news and alternative facts. 
they took those out. Those weren't present. Now, that doesn't mean that they reported all the facts. That doesn't mean that they covered all the stories that were happening. There were some stories that weren't covered. Certainly, that's the case. But when they misrepresented things, it was mainly by omission. They weren't actually actively lying and spreading fake mm-hmm. news and you know false facts. Right. So you can see this in the difference um, on uh, newspaper editorial endorsements. The vast majority of newspaper editorial endorsements were against Trump because the mainstream media, who are really concerned about lies in politics, basically said, like, look, this guy's a liar. We uh, can't endorse him because he's a liar. Traditional conservative newspapers that have widely endorsed conservatives in the past, all the time, the previous endorsed conservatives, went against Donald Trump because Donald Trump lied a lot in an unprecedented manner. But Donald Trump was still elected. These newspaper editorials didn't have nearly as much impact as they did in the past. And this is due to the combination of the social media and also of Donald Trump's specific attacks on the media. So research shows that by Gallup, uh, which is a credible news uh, polling agency, and they have done a number of polls every year on trust in the media. And uh, trust in the media among Republicans has remained fairly stable from the early 2000s to 2015. Now, from 2015 to 2016, it has fallen by more than half. By more than half. That's due to mainly Trump's attacks in the media as well as the presence of social media. So Trump's attacks in the media have really devastated trust in the media and people like you made the reporting kind of on the media. They have really devastated trust in this. And so this combination of decreasing trust in the media, especially among Republicans, and the sharing of fake news on social media has very powerfully brought about this current situation, which Oxford well, Dictionary called post-truth politics. Would you it agree still that there makes might me be... want to ask, it still makes me want to ask the question is, what's up with the American people? Is everybody well, still sweet? Yeah, that was my question. Is that it seems to be uh, a third factor here, and that is the American public's inability to think rationally and clearly and cl- and clearly about what people are actually saying. You know, there's there's a certain portion of the population that doesn't seem to be able to look at this and say, "Holy crap, this is about the dumbest thing I ever heard." Well, you think they feel you think yeah. they feel stupid. You think they feel stupid, Matthew, for allowing it to happen in the first place. So that's why they're not speaking up now. I don't no, know. I, don't, I, I wonder uh, what Gleb thinks uh, about it. Sure. What actually tends to happen with people is that, you know, we're not different than we were 20 to, and 30 years ago and 40 years ago and 50 years ago and, you know, 10 years ago. People aren't different. We haven't changed in any magical way. It's just the technology changed. We have okay. disruptions. We have disruptions in every sphere of our environment. We have disruptions in our, you know, Lyft and Uber have brought about major disruptions in the taxi industry. E-books have brought about a major disruption in the textbook industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, online shopping has caused so many stores to, sh- to close. Major disruption. And fake news, fake news and social media where that is unfiltered, where people can get falsehoods directly from Trump and other fake news post-truth politicians, you know. Similar things happen in Brexit, lies in Brexit where the mm-hmm. UK left the EU yeah. community because well, I of think, I think lies. Of it that... as the, I think of it as the American educational system as having as becoming a, a pretty failing pretty significantly in its ability to teach students how to do critical thinking. And it's just <laughs> that a big part of the population never learned how to do it. And I, you're probably right. They're not any different now than they used to be. But the educational system, education system, is a big fault here. So how do you, if you don't teach students how to ask the right questions, how are they going to challenge anything, even if it's absurd? Yeah, so this is a very important question, but it doesn't relate directly to what happened. So we have, uh, remember, we need to, if we want to observe, if we want to understand why we're in this different area, 
And uh, like I said, Oxford Dictionary has called this age post-truth politics. It shows that as the word of the year for 2016 because of the Brexit in the UK and especially and due to Trump, the Trump election, where mm -hmm. post-truth politics refers to a political situation where appeals to emotions and personal beliefs triumph over appeals to facts. That's only okay. made possible by the disruption in technology. So we can hope and you know, think about kind of critical education, and that would be wonderful if people had that education. But people similarly lacked that education 10 years ago and 20 years That's ago. It, I'm we didn't see I these lies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we didn't see these lies. We didn't see politicians triumphing because of lies. It's because of the social media. It's because of the technology. It's because of Twitter. I'm not blaming Twitter explicitly. I'm just saying that that is what enabled it. You know, in the same way that uh, conspiracy theories are widely propagated online in a way that they haven't been able to be widely propagated previously because people didn't have this ability, we similarly mm -hmm. have lies and deceptions and fake news and propagated online, and that really enabled Trump's victory. That enabled Trump to win. And that's uh, unfortunately what my research suggests is that other people will learn from Trump. They will emulate his most successful tactics. So other politicians will adopt the successes that Trump has shown. And we see this happening right now. We see politicians emulating Trump lying uh, through their teeth and not really, and calling out media when those media criticize them for lying. And we see those politicians doing that, and we see them succeeding. We see them being more and more successful. So our society is headed down toward a spiral of growing deception. So it's more well, how, and more deception because I'm, yeah, I'm sorry. More Dr. and more deception because that's that, no problem. More and more deception because uh, this is how our brains are structured and this is how the technology is disrupting our political process. Well, my question, sir, is how can we address the problem? I mean, what, what can we do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this is what I've been doing my research on, how do we address the problem and what I've been focused on working on quite a bit. So what research shows really helps tilt the floor toward truth are things like getting people to commit in advance to act truthfully, behave in a truthful manner, get them to commit to that in advance of them actually engaging with heated topics. So, for example, uh, our intuitions would suggest that if you present people with accurate information about something they disagree with, they would change their minds. That's so. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of research on a fallacious thinking pattern called the backfire effect, where if people are presented with information, if they're not already educated strongly in critical thinking, if they're presented with information that goes against their intuitions and their beliefs, what's comfortable to them, they have a defensive reaction, emotional reaction, which is shown by them either shutting down, which is the flight response from the savanna, or the fight response, they yell back at you and they shout back at you. Neither of those is conducive to a rational conversation about a topic, which will get people to change their minds. But that's what happens if you present them with facts that they disagree with. So that's bad. We, we don't want to do that. What actually works is getting people to commit in advance to a conduct of truthful behavior and getting them to invest emotionally care about this truth-oriented behavior. You know, this is how the environmental movement successfully dealt with the pollution of uh, the air, clean air and water. Now we're dealing with the pollution of truth and politics, similar sorts yeah. of pollution, similarly devastating to our political environment. Mm -hmm. Now, how it dealt with this area is getting people to care about clean air and water, raising awareness about the danger of pollution, Raising awareness. The first thing to do is to raise awareness that lies in politics, that deception in politics will undermine trust, will undermine truth, will lead to corruption and authoritarianism. And there's a lot of research showing that corruption and authoritarianism naturally follow from a situation like this one, where democratically elected leaders are allowed to get away with lies and deceptions. We see that happening in a number of democracies whether Russia, Turkey, uh, Italy, Portugal, Spain, uh, Germany, 
has happened in a number of situations. So get people to care about this. And then give them a clear guideline, clear guidelines for what it means to be truthful and what truth-oriented behaviors are like, and then get them to commit to these truth-oriented behaviors. So the same way that, you know, there's the research on the, on the environmental movement showing that if you get people to care about the environment, then you give them guidelines on how to do pro-environmental activities like recycling and get them to agree to do recycling, to commit to it. Mm-hmm. They will be much more likely to recycle. So this is something that I've been working on quite a bit uh, with a nonprofit that I run, Intentional Insights, and we've launched a major new project to help address the lies in our political system and bring the truth into it And at protruthpledge.org. So for those who are listening along, I strongly encourage you to go to protruthpledge.org and check out the website. The website is essentially, this is for people who are convinced that the you know, truth is important, who care about the truth, and who, are really, who are concerned with the deceptions in our political system. It Could, you say the people, website? Could you say the website again? Sure. Sorry. Protruthpledge.org. Like protruthpledge, all written together. So a pledge for truth. Pro for truthpledge.org. And it lists 12 behaviors that research and behavioral science suggests are oriented toward truth, that would get people to behave in a truthful, honest manner. I'll read some of these behaviors for those folks who are not by the computer and are unable to get to protruthpledge.org. Verify. Fact check information to confirm it is true before sharing it. Balance. Share the whole truth, even if some aspects don't support my opinion. Reevaluate. Reevaluate my information if it's challenged and retracted if I can't verify it. Celebrate. Celebrate those who retract incorrect statements and update their beliefs toward the truth. And eight more behaviors like this one that are all pretty simple, pretty clear behaviors. You know, like the Ten Commandments in the Bible, we have, you know, the 12 behaviors that are truth-oriented behaviors. You know, those are 10 religious-oriented behaviors, and these are 12 truth-oriented behaviors. Similar, very clear, very simple. You know, folks across the political spectrum can agree that, yes, if you follow these 12 behaviors, you're much more likely to be truth-oriented. So, well, get I'm, people to commit I'm, to this? Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now, and it's, uh, it yep. looks great. Uh, three different categories, share truth, honor truth, encourage truth, and four different things under each one. It looks uh, it looks great. It would be wonderful if – I certainly will share it on my uh, Facebook. I think it's a really great thing. Wonderful. And I hope you sign it yourself. hope you too sign it yourself if uh, you want to support, uphold, to share, honor, and encourage the truth. Absolutely. Because the nice about it. Uh, the nice thing about it, so if you go and take the pro-truth pledge, there's an orange button there for people who are following along. You can you pull up in your name, your email. Now uh, you put your phone in to get the action alerts about various things, which we'll talk about later. Then you provide your home address. The, the goal of that is to so we can tell your representatives about how many people have signed the pledge. And there's a box which you can leave checked, which says, I call on all of my elected representatives to take the pro-truth pledge. So the goal of this is one aspect of the pledge functions as a petition. We have volunteers for the pro-truth pledge who are right now going to elected representatives and candidates for office and asking them to take the pro-truth pledge. They're showing them, hey, here's a list of people in your district who have taken the pro-truth pledge and who have called on you as their elected representative to take it. So that applies you know, uh, from anyone to your federal district judge, to your mayor, to your congressperson, to your state house representatives, to your governor, to your senator, to, to the president. So there are, they all have different districts, and so we want to call on all of your elected representatives to take the pro-truth pledge. Then you can choose to be listed on the public database of people who signed the pro-truth pledge, in which case you'll want to provide a link to your online presence. You can choose to help with the pro-truth pledge, which involves spreading word about it on social media or in person, lobbying public figures to take it, and also, uh, or also monitoring public figures who take it. And we have a number of public figures who took it. You know, we have politicians who I can go into who took the pro-truth pledge. We have prominent uh, people such as the moral philosopher Peter Singer or Pierre Whelan and the Episcopal Bishop who took the pro-truth pledge and plenty of other 
uh, plenty of media figures, podcasts, show hosts, radio show hosts who have taken the approach with pledged journalists and so on. Seem like, seem, you, seem, yes. seem like we should consider them my tribe and just work with those people. <laughs> that's one of the functions. So that's an interesting uh, question that you brought up. One of the functions of the Pro-Truth Pledge is to create a community of people who are going to be oriented toward the truth. And so for people who join the Pro-Truth Pledge, we invite them to uh, both join Facebook groups devoted to the Pro-Truth Pledge who want to help with the Pro-Truth Pledge, Facebook groups devoted to the Pro-Truth Pledge, and also form a Pro-Truth Pledge in their local community. In some areas, we already have one going, local community. In some areas, we're starting them up. So to have to create a new tribe, a new group of people who you know are going to be committed to the truth. That's one. Second is to share it in your social network. Share it on Facebook, share it in person, share it by email, and encourage people in your social network to become pro-truth pledge advocates, to become advocates for the pro-truth movement. And that's easy to do. Now, research shows that if we do something, our you know, people on our social network are likely are more likely to do it. So, for example, Dr. Glib, if we stop Dr. smoking, Glib, I, I just yes. want to I just want to interject one thing. You said it's easy to do, but I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking kind of outside of the box, but it seems like that's a hard thing to do because this is going to create cause a lot of people to check themselves. This is going to cause a lot of people to look, you know, at themselves in the mirror. And um, mm-hmm. do you think a lot of the American people are really ready to do that? Hmm. I think there are plenty who are, and that's why I said it's for the pro-truth pledge is not the first step. It's the second step. The first step is to get awareness, raise awareness, and make people concerned in the same way that the environmental movement started by a small group of advocates who were already concerned about the environment and who knew what should be done about it. They didn't start by telling people, hey, why don't you go recycle? They started by telling people, hey, we have a huge problem here of pollution, which is going to cause you to die if you, uh, you know, if you have diseases, lung disease and so on, or you know, get sick if you drink po- poisoned water. They started with getting people invested, emotionally invested into the environment, and then they gave them the things that they can do, like recycling and buying environmental products, pro- green products, conserving various uh, Air, you know, water and, and so on. So you start by getting people to care about the truth. So you can immediately give the true, the pro-truth pledge to people who do care about it, who are concerned with lies and politics and who want to do something about it. They already have right. that level of caring. For others, you'd want to first talk to them about the harsh, the terrible consequences of lies and deceptions in politics, which would lead to corruption and authoritarianism, and then give them the pro-truth pledge as a solution about it. But we do have research showing that if people change their behaviors, others are likely to follow. So, for example, if you stop smoking, other people are likely to stop smoking. If you lose weight, other people in your social network are likely to lose weight. You know, if you express more friendliness toward gay people, other people in your social network are likely to do the same. And if you commit to the pro-truth pledge and start sharing content, themed around the pro-truth pledge, other people are likely to take it as well, or at least be more concerned about it. So that is one aspect of the pro-truth pledge. It works through what is called in the research network effects. So people in your network take the pro-truth pledge and they perpetuate it. So you perpetuate the pro-truth pledge that way. So how's it going? It's going pretty good. So we got a number of people, like I said, uh, Peter Singer, uh, the Pierre Whelan, a number of other people to take it. We've got a number of politicians to take it. And uh, let me clarify about what are the different incentives for public figures to take it. So public figures, they have, because they have more of an impact on the public sphere, we gave them incentives to take it, as well as having an accountability system to make sure that they stick to the truth. So for everyone, uh, for people who are still on the take the pledge button, the orange button there, you could see that if you're a public figure, like let's say you two are public figures as podcast, uh, as show hosts, radio show hosts, then you can 
give a paragraph about why you chose to take the pledge, and then provide links to your up to free links to your online presence, which would involve things like your radio program, your Facebook, if you have a contributions page, your contributions page, anything you want. For the politicians, they often do this. They give their online presence, their main online presence, Facebook, their website, and their contributions page. And so those are all sent around in monthly newsletters to everyone who signed up for the monthly news infrequent email updates. So that's really important as an incentive because it gives a reputational incentive to any public figure, whether it's a politician, radio show host, journalist, uh, academic, and so on, to sign the pro-truth pledge. It gives them these incentives. So that's why it's as important, very important, to get as many people as possible to sign the pro-truth pledge to give them the incentive to give public figures the incentive to sign the pro-truth pledge and stick to it. So that's the incentive, that's the rewards, reputational rewards, which the environmental movement showed work really well for getting people to public figures to change their behaviors of these rewards. And then we also hold people accountable. So we make sure that people are accountable. We have a volunteers. So anyone who signs the pro-truth pledge can also choose to be a volunteer. One of the things they can do is they can hold public figures accountable. So let's say, um, you know, Pierre Whelan signed the pro-truth pledge as a minister, as the Episcopal bishop. Now we have people who evaluate uh, the statements that he makes and make sure that he sticks to the actual verifiable facts of reality. And we, and we, that's described in what is considered misinformation. Things that go against credible, reliable fact-checking websites and things like the scientific consensus. So people are held accountable. We make sure that they stick to the facts and we investigate and get them to retract their statements if they don't. And if they refuse to retract their statements after numerous attempts to get them to retract their statements, we actually go to the media, we go public. So we go to the media, we say, you know, this person took the pro-truth pledge and uh, let's say it's the you know, mayor of New York, uh, took the pro-truth pledge and he made a clearly verifiable false statement that goes against a credible fact-checking website. We made a number of attempts to get him to retract the statements. He chose not to. We now consider him in contempt of the pro-truth pledge. And we go to all the media in the New York City area. And then we also send an action alert by email and text, and this is why it's important to sign up for action alerts, to all the people in the New York area who signed up for the pro-truth pledge, for them to email the mm -hmm. mayor, tweet the mayor, write the mayor, call the mayor, protest the mayor, meet with the mayor, uh, write letters to the editor, and so on, and basically raise a big thing about the mayor being in contempt of the pro-truth pledge. Mm -hmm. So basically, if a public figure intends to lie and signs the pro-truth pledge just to get the, the benefit of the reputation, they're better off not signing it at all. Wow. Wow. <laughs> we both fell well in that. So yeah, I like fight to fake Go ahead, Matthew. I'm sorry. How do we fight mm -hmm. fake news? So one of the things, one of the aspects of the pro-truth pledge is uh, encouraging truth, and under that, there's fix a behavior. Ask people to retract information that reliable sources have disproved, even if they are my allies, and educate, compassionately inform those around me to stop using reliable sources even if these sources support my opinion. So these are really good strategies for fighting fake news, compassionately asking people to stop using unreliable sources, whether Breitbart News on the Republican side or Occupy Democrats on the Democratic side. These are sources that have been widely shown to have a number of false news articles, even if they have some true articles. And another is to retract information, false statements that reliable sources have disproved even if they're my allies, and especially if they're my allies, if they are within my tribe. So you show, you model behavior that is oriented toward the truth by encouraging people to retract false statements. When you see somebody posting a piece of fake news, you know, if it's somebody who's our friend, it's so tempting to let it slide, to let it go and say whatever. <laughs> not, well, not a big deal with a friend. I, want, I wanted to add a piece here, a piece here because um, – we're we're talking about people out there that we want to get to join, and we want to join too. When I'm working with my clients, um, 
about doing personal growth, about growing mm-hmm. internally, one of the things, yep. sort of a, a truism or a statement that I give to them often is tell yourself the truth first. Tell mm-hmm. yourself the truth first about yourself. And I think yeah. all of these things could apply internally as well as externally to us. If we get in the, if each of us makes a pledge also to, to be truthful with ourselves about ourselves, whether we like that truth or don't like the truth, it's, it's a, it's a way of growing a big way of growing and learning how to deal with it. And so it makes it easier to recognize outside of ourselves, whether people are telling the truth or not, when we require it of ourselves internally, because in, in many cases, no one knows if we're lying to ourselves or not, but us. I mean, some Matthew, people might yeah, know it, but. Absolutely. Matthew, it's yeah. Very that was, that was, no, that was my point but, earlier when I was saying to Dr. Mm-hmm. Glib that that would cause a lot of people to look in the mirror and check themselves. I mean, because um, that's the hardest thing for people to do is be honest with themselves. They could be critical of others, but, you know, you first have mm-hmm. to deal with your own self, and you have to first check your own honesty and integrity. Yes, mm-hmm. you first have to take the log out of your own eye. I totally understand that. Which One of the things uh, that research on behavioral science shows is that we are more likely to be honest if we have a community of people around us who support honesty. And yeah. this is, will help each individual to be more honest if she or he encourages others to be more honest because then those people will encourage you to be more honest as well with yourself and with others and so on. So this is, you know, we have otherwise we have a perpetuating a loop of deception, a spiral of deception. This creates a virtual spiral where if you encourage honest behavior, other people will encourage honest behavior in you. So that's a virtuous spiral of greater and greater honesty. And the nice thing about the pro-truth pledge is if you see other people who have taken the pro-truth pledge, you know that they're much more likely to be honest. So you'll be more likely to do business with them. You'll be more likely to have them as relationship partners, as friends, as civic engaged community leaders. You Mm -hmm. can trust them. You know you can rely on them if they're oriented toward the truth. So this is a nice marker of trustworthiness and truth, and you know that those people are being held accountable. Well, I think that it's it's great to see that people are taking this thing very seriously and trying to create structures and actions and attitudes that combat the lying that really is is going through the political process now and, and it's 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 destroying our faith and our trust in things that really do need that in order to function uh, you know if we do, if we, for example if we say you know like Trump was trying to put down the the judges recently and anybody who disagrees with him he's he treats as a uh, as a not okay person or or group you know they lose their credibility if they if they don't do what he likes and and that's a scary way to live uh particularly if it's being influenced by the president of the united states so i'm I'm glad that this kind of thing is something you're doing glib i think it's it's great i get it i get it also uh i get it also uh you know he's attacking this from the foundation and and that's what mm-hmm. i get out of this he's attacking it from the foundation mhm yeah, it is a exactly. very bipartisan thing. You know, we have uh, Republicans and Democrats who are on board. We have religious people and secular people who are on board. It's reaching across all sorts of divides. We can all align and agree on these 12 behaviors which are oriented toward the truth. And that's, you know, what we want to achieve. And you're right, mm-hmm. you know, Donald Trump is living in a very, um, what I would say is a very natural savanna environment where people who disagree with him aren't part of his tribe, even people who previously were. I mean, you see what happened to uh, Comey, who he previously praised, uh, the former FBI director James Comey, who Mm -hmm. was praised by Trump on a number of occasions. And then once Comey started doing his job of investigating the Russia connection between Russia and Trump, Trump fired him. Now, similarly, 
Rod Rosenstein, who is the uh, deputy director of attorney general, deputy attorney general, was praised by Trump on a number of occasions. Now that uh, Rosenstein did his job of appointing the special counsel, Rosenstein is attacked by Trump. So here, Trump lives in a very tribal, Savannah environment, whereas this project, the pro-truth pledge, tries to live in a very civilized environment, not primitive, savannah, tribal, but civilized, crossing divides, crossing tribes, encompassing the whole of humanity in the foundational values of an orientation toward the truth. In the same way that the project of religion, Christianity, and other religions brought together tribes that would have been in conflict otherwise around a fundamental core set of values. And this project, the Pro-Truth Pledge, brings together people around a core fundamental set of values who would otherwise be fighting, be in conflict, and not able to, you know, not able to agree on the truth. So yes, it is very foundational. It is getting at the foundations of our society and restructuring them in a very bipartisan manner. Matthew, I said something else brilliant. You did? You didn't get the memo? I must have, I, I must have missed the memo because I did, did Glad, did you tell him? You just said he said a brilliant thing. Well, thank my you for. Was, I think my, he was my, talking my, about me. <laughs> my state. My statement was about the foundation. Oh yeah. The foundation. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah we need well, to attack the foundation. Lamont has this thing, Glib, every week. He tries to have some brilliant statement acknowledged by a guest. I think he's paying yep. him actually under the table to say this. <laughs> Ooh, no, 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 you didn't. No, you didn't. After you had I this lady call his, after you didn't had this lady call his show for five weeks in a row talking about you, you need to quit. <laughs> <laughs> My fan club. I have one person in my fan club. She calls up every week and says she thinks I'm, I'm oh. great. So, but he he has to pay for it. I don't pay for it. Hey, Glyph, she's 95. <laughs> she let me add, she's 95 years old too. But anyway, we got a couple minutes left on the show, uh, Doctor Glib. We'd like to give you the opportunity to tell our listeners everything about you, where they can contact you, and all your books and stuff, please. Sure. So. Uh, Let's see. So I have a number of books. One uh, that's out that people might enjoy is Find Your Purpose Using Science, which is a, a research-based strategy to find purpose and meaning in life. And so that was uh, work I did before the Trump situation and Brexit led me to shift my orientation, focus on decision-making in politics, the political sphere. And right now I'm working on a book in that sphere called The Alternative to Alternative Facts, Fighting Post-Truth Politics and Behavioral Science, which is aiming to be basically a manifesto and a manual for how you fight post-truth politics. By It first describes how we got to where we are, why we are where we are. Things I talked about early on the show with media, digital media, social media, lies and deceptions, how our brain causes us to be screwed up. And then it goes into how we can address this. So things like the pro-truth movement, the pro-truth pledge, how do we effectively communicate to people who aren't oriented toward critical thinking, who aren't oriented toward logic, and how do we effectively organize it? So, for example, the pro-truth movement right now, what we're focusing on is getting as many people to sign the pro-truth pledge as possible in order to build up the basis of communication of the pro-truth movement so that we can get an incentive for public figures to sign the pro-truth pledge. I, you can, they can also find me online. If anyone wants to talk to me about this, I'd be happy to chat. My email is gleb, G-L-E-B, at intentionalinsights.org. Again, that's gleb at intentionalinsights.org. And my website, I have the nonprofit's website, is intentionalinsights.org, and the Pro-Truth Pledge is at protruthpledge.org. I encourage everyone to go there and sign it. We thank you so much, Dr. Glib, for joining us, and you gave us a wealth of information. And uh, the show, for those that just joined us late, you'll be able to hear the whole show in its entirety in about two minutes at worldmovement.com, Spotify, iTunes, podcast, uh, pretty much wherever worldwide. Just 
Google can a player play? And again, I guess today, Dr. Gleb Tuspersky, and I said it right also, Matthew. Thank you again, sir, for joining us, and we appreciate you much. Absolutely. Thanks, Thank Gleb. you so much. And I'm really glad that you two will take the approach of Pledge as well. That's wonderful. Yes, yes we will, sir. Got it. Thank you, and we enjoyed you. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Call me at the right. 